0: It's Midday Magazine for Tuesday, August 29th. I'm Hannah Flohr. School starts today for Petersburg students, except for kindergarten, which starts tomorrow. Several new teachers are joining the Petersburg School District this year. KFSK will be airing conversations with some of the teachers during the first week of school. Megan Smith is the new high school math teacher in town, but she's not new to Southeast. Last year in Metlakatla, she taught high school English and 8th grade math. She has a degree in English with an emphasis on education. She just finished her studies to become endorsed in math, and this will be her first year teaching the subject full-time. I spoke with Megan about her love of math.
1: I just really enjoyed teaching math, and (laughs) it was like, oh, I think I really like this, and I want to go that route. I did my master's uh, research project on uh, the math classroom with technology and a flipped classroom and uh, just how to work in a multi-level, multi-grade classroom What with is math.
0: A, what does a flipped
1: class, classroom mean? A flipped classroom is when you assign, it, it's sort of new-ish in terms of tech, uh, education, but it's like when you assign all the lecturing outside of the class, so they would read or they would watch a video of you lecturing, and then when you come to class you do all the homework, Oh, what's the what's
0: the advantage of that?
1: The advantage is that then students have you as the teacher who actually knows the material to help them when they're doing the actual problems instead of their parents who might not know.
0: Right. And, and I, I feel like <laughs> the thing that I always hear, you know, it's kind of just out in the ether is people saying dang it, I have to learn to do math again so I can help my kids with homework. So that kind of gets around that problem.
1: (laughs) Yes, and then kids can feel a little bit more confident in what they're doing. They can work with peers, they can work with their teacher. Um, It isn't a true flipped classroom where you're sending kids home to watch videos and things is not very equitable in terms of kids having the resources necessary, technology or time. So what I did with my classroom was we actually did it in the classroom. They would watch the videos at the same time at different levels. They all are at a different level. Um, And then we'd have a day where we just did homework
0: Mm, Okay, to make it more
1: equitable for all families.
0: Yeah. You said that you just really liked teaching math. What is it about teaching math that you like so much?
1: Um, I think I really like that kids, you see more of an aha moment with kids and it's not as subjective as, say, teaching English where... I might view something that I'm teaching one way, but students will not see it that way and, and they're not wrong. So mm-hmm. it just it's not as black and white or concrete.
0: Yeah, and you like
1: the concrete. <laughs> I like the it. concrete. I I feel like I have lived through the <laughs> the gray for long enough.
0: <laughs> you like just give me something yeah. solid. <laughs> um what what would you say your teaching style is? You talked a little bit about that with the flipped classroom. But...
1: Um I would say my teaching style is sort of I don't know how to describe this. Lovingly strict. <laughs> um I definitely want kids to be comfortable in my classroom and have space to make mistakes and ask questions, but also I hold them to an expectation and a standard and they usually recognize that right away and respect that and appreciate that that there's a hey, Ms. Smith doesn't really put up with much. Yeah. But she's still going to love me even if I push her buttons. So <laughs> Um, how do you know that you're succeeding in your classroom? Ooh, that's hard because I think what people who don't work in a classroom would think success is is when kids get all the whole class gets a good grade on a test or everybody's doing really well in your subject. And for me, and I think probably a lot of educators, that's not when the success Is seen like, yes, that feels great when your lesson hits and the kids do a great job, and you all leave feeling like, wow, that was great. Um, but the success comes when kids come back and say, Hey, I remember doing that in your room, or I had a text message from a student not too long ago who said, I had this really hard math problem at work, she works construction. And I thought of you and how you said, oh, it's just a problem. You got to use your problem-solving skills. <laughs> and she was like, and I did, and I figured it out after eight tries. But <laughs> like that's, that's success in the classroom. Like they were able to take something mm-hmm. and apply it outside of the room. Right. And so you don't always see it when you're in the moment. Hmm. Sometimes happens much later.
0: That was new high school math teacher Megan Smith. KFSK will be airing conversations with new teachers for the rest of this week. The Kotzebue Sound commercial chum fishery closed more than a week early this season. Copper River Seafoods, one of just two salmon buyers, announced their closure on Facebook last Tuesday. The posts thank fishers and families for a great season. Arctic Circle Wild Seafood, the other salmon buyer, ended their operations last week. Karen Gillis is the general manager for Copper River Seafoods in Kotzebue. She says it isn't the earliest they've stopped buying fish for the fishery, but still pretty close.
2: We have closed as early as August 21st before. It depends on um, what our buyers are buying, and usually towards the end of the season, um, the fish turn dark colors and the buyers aren't really happy with that.
0: Darker colors usually mean chums are closer to spawning, Gillis says. Buyers generally prefer the shiny, silver skin of earlier season fish she says copper river seafood's fleet caught less than half of what they had about this time last year
2: but last year's got extremely busy we did 1.9 million pounds and this year we've only done 900 thousand pounds so it's considerably slower
0: she says copper river seafoods anticipates returning to buy fish next year and appreciates local fishermen and workers who make the season successful
2: we're very happy to give the community some jobs, and happy that the um, youngsters were very, very good and learned fast and enjoyed the jobs. And they look like they will um, be very happy to come back for us next year.
0: Now that the season is over, Copper Copper River Seafoods will be closing up their two locations in Kotzebue with more of the crew done by next week. Gillis says they are also making arrangements for their barge to haul out soon. A plane believed to be carrying two people from Ketchikan has been missing since Sunday. That's according to a report by the Alaska Department of Public Safety. The plane, at Beechcraft Bonanza, left Allen at 8.50 a.m. on Sunday. It was last heard from about 18 miles inland of Cape Yakutaga, northwest of Yakutat. The Alaska Rescue Coordination Center is in charge of search efforts, which have been hampered by bad weather. Alaska state troopers have informed the occupants' families that the plane is overdue. Although residents pay a premium for food and fuel, and especially housing, Sika is far from the most expensive place to live in Alaska, and in fact lands somewhere in the middle. But this is cold comfort for Sitkans and residents of other communities, as Alaska remains near the top of the list of expensive places to live in the country as a whole. Robert Woolsey has this look at recent trends in the cost of living published by the state.
2: If you spend any time on social media, you've probably seen lists of the best places to live or the best places to retire, and the metrics those surveys use probably differ from those of the Alaska Department of Labor, which relies on cold, hard numbers. Economically speaking, Alaska is just not that attractive. The June issue of Alaska Economic Trends, published by the Alaska Department of Labor, reports that Alaska is the fifth most costly state in the U.S. to live in, behind New York, California, Massachusetts, and Hawaii. Food, fuel, and transportation are the main culprits, although in Fairbanks the biggest burn, literally, is heating fuel, which is over 100% higher than the national average. Paying $100 for a large bag of groceries is becoming more common in urban Alaska. In Kodiak, almost a twin of Sitka's across the Gulf, groceries are 53% more expensive than the national average. Kodiak, Fairbanks, Juneau, and Anchorage are the only cities in the state whose data on consumer prices are compiled by the National Council for Community and Economic Research. Folding in data from some of Alaska's rural areas would skew the graph so far as to make it unusable. A gallon of gas in Galena, for example, was selling for just over $10 this spring. To learn how the rest of the state stands up, economists turn to a list generated by the Department of Defense, which adjusts military salaries according to the cost of living in communities where personnel are stationed. Wasilla is at the bottom of the list, although it's still 28% more expensive to live there than the national average. Bethel and Cordova are tied at the top at 46% more expensive than the rest of the country. Homer, Kenai, Salmon, and Valdez are tied for second at 44% more expensive. Sitka, Petersburg, Juneau, Nome, and Wainwright are in third place at 38% more expensive than the rest of the country. And interestingly, when you subtract the high housing and utility costs, the military, which subsidizes housing, puts Fairbanks near the bottom at 34 percent above the rest of the nation. The good news is that inflation is cooling off in Alaska and some prices are even coming down off their high last year, like meat, poultry and eggs at the grocery store and used cars and trucks. Housing is not coming down, though. The average price of a home in Alaska is now over $380,000, an 8% jump from last year. In Juneau, that figure is now over $500,000. Sitka's prices are in that ballpark, although the market is too small to say with any precision. The state does track rents, however, and puts the median cost for a two-bedroom apartment in Sitka at $1,400. Just below Juneau and above Chugach. What the state doesn't measure is the burden created by high housing costs. In April, McKinley Research reported that almost a quarter of Sitka's homeowners and half of its renters pay a third or more of their income on housing costs. And cost burdening is not unique to Sitka. So until someone starts factoring in the state's relatively low taxes and its superabundance of natural beauty and wild country, Alaska is not going to be topping those lists of desirable places to live on social media. And most residents can probably live with that. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: The body of a humpback whale calf named Tango was found last Friday evening on the shore of Hump Island. About ten miles northwest of Oak Bay, NOAA is still investigating what happened to Tango, but a post-mortem exam on Saturday revealed injuries consistent with a vessel strike. Mandy Keoh, who coordinates NOAA's response when whales get stranded or struck, says collisions between boats and humpback whales in southeast are fairly common.
1: Unfortunately, whale vessel strikes with humpback whales does occur. You can not see a whale until you are very close to them or until you unfortunately might um, run into them.
0: Keo says Tango was born this year to Sasha, a whale who visits Juno every summer. A statement from Noah says Sasha had been seen near Juno this weekend and did not appear to be hurt. Keo says Noah received two reports of vessel strikes in the days before Tango was found. Biologists searched for any animals that were acting unusual or showed signs of injury. And in
1: total, we found about 10 animals and none of them had any evidence
0: of
2: any injuries.
0: Keo says she doesn't yet know if those reports are related to what happened to Tango. Noah also cannot say what kind of vessel struck Noah, but Keo says all vessels, vessels operating in Alaska should be following Noah's guidelines for operating around whales.
1: These are legal requirements that vessel operators have to undergo whenever they're around a humpback whale
0: within Alaska, and that include maintaining certain distances, the guidelines call for vessels to stay 100 yards away from whales and to avoid disturbing nor normal activities. The guidelines can be found on the NOAA Fisheries website. President Joe Biden will visit Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson in, in Anchorage on September 11th to commemorate the 22nd anniversary of the 2001 terrorist attacks. At a press briefing yesterday, White House Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said the visit will happen as the president comes back from a diplomatic visit to Hanoi, Japan. The president will travel from Hanoi to Alaska to participate in a memorial ceremony with members of the military and their families. White House officials didn't specify how long the president will be in Alaska or if he had any other plans on his itinerary. The president previously stopped in Anchorage at J. Bear for a brief refueling stop on his way to Japan in May. Biden's visit is one of several high-profile visits from federal officials to Alaska in recent months. First Lady Jill Biden and Interior Secretary Deb Halland visited Bethel in May, while Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, Attorney General Mer- Merrick Garland, and Deputy Interior Secretary Tommy Bowdrow toured parts of the state this month. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Flohr. Coming up next, local and marine weather, followed by birthdays and community announcements.